Amen. All right. Daniel chapter number five. Grab your Bible. Turn to Daniel chapter number five. Everybody good? All right. All right. Let's begin. Daniel chapter five in verse number one. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king, his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver and of brass and of iron and of wood and of stone. In the same hour, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. The king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man. Say amen, church. There's a man in thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and in the days of thy father... Light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. Whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians and astrologers, Chaldeans and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts, were found in the same Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then was Daniel brought in before the king. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou, Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my uh, father brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. Now the wise men... Astrologers who have brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now, if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom." Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom, a majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. 
Whom he would, he slew. And whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he set up. And whom he would, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed uh, from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Now, if y'all remember, that's what we read in chapter number four. Uh, and he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. And by the way, that one phrase right there is is the basic is the basic thought is the basic subject of the whole book of Daniel that God is the high God in heaven and he does what he wants to do. Period. Period. That is the book of Daniel. Now, this is what he says. And thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the God of silver and of gold and of brass, iron and wood and stone, which see not nor hear nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written, Mina, Mina, Tiko, Upharsan. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mina, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tico, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night, in that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain. And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. Let's pray. Father, I, I'm so thankful for your mercy. I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for these folks that are here tonight. Uh, Lord, we've got a, a lot of people sick, a lot of people out, a lot of people uh, with COVID or have been around COVID. And, and, and Lord, it's just, it's, it's just uh, everywhere. Now, Lord, I pray that you'll touch these folks. I pray that you'll touch the ones that are sick. I pray that you'll touch the ones who are in uh, great need that way. I pray, Lord, that you will just touch their bodies and give them strength. Lord, I pray that you'll touch everybody here and keep them safe. I pray for your health. I pray, Lord, tonight that we can study your word, enjoy your presence, enjoy your word, enjoy each other. And God will praise you and thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, uh, we're going to do a brief introduction uh, with some information to help you understand the chapter. And then we're going to do a running commentary. A running commentary through the chapter, verse by verse, down through this. This will be in the outline. 
And then at the end, at the end, when we finish the, the chapter, uh, we're going we're gonna to give out three application points. So basically, we're just going to tell you what happened. We're going to tell you what happened in the chapter. And then at the end, we're going to say, what does this have to do with us? What can we take from this? What can we learn from this? If that makes sense, say amen. amen. All right. Now, let's jump into the background. Let's jump into the background and, and help us understand something. Because if you jump out of chapter four and go right into chapter five, it's going to make it seem like that Belshazzar is the son, the direct son of Nebuchadnezzar. But it's not. He is his grandson. And we'll, we'll explain that. And so it'll help you better understand the chapter and what's going on. All right. Okay. Now here's the background. Some 20 years have passed between chapter four and chapter five. Now, uh, I know a couple of weeks have passed, so you might have forgotten what was in chapter four. But chapter four is where Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar went crazy. How many of y'all remember that? He lost his mind. He went out and when he was eating grass like an oxen, uh, his fingernails grew out. His hair was plaited and made it look like the feathers of a bird. And, and he, God was punishing him and putting him out the pasture, if you will, till he knew and he acknowledged and he realized that God was in charge. And if we know, we called it uh, his story and he gave the testimony. He submitted, he surrendered, he realized and he acknowledged that God was the boss. Amen. That was chapter four. Now, about 20 years have passed. All right. Nebuchadnezzar's already, he has died and, and we've had some things take place going into chapter number five. All right. Nebuchadnezzar moved off the scene. Succeeded by a son, Amel Marduk, called Evil Merodach in Jeremiah 52, 31. Now he just reigned a few years, I believe two years, and then was assassinated by his own brother-in-law, Neri Glazar. He in turn ruled four years, but was killed while in battle. And the next two rulers occupied the throne a very brief time. The first was his son, Labishi Marduk. The second of these was Nabonidus. Nabonidus is very important. This is, this is where there's going to be a connection here with Belshazzar. Nabonidus was actually the son-in-law to Nebuchadnezzar and was married to a widow of one of the previous kings. So Nabonidus married Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. If you follow me, say amen. All right, Nabonidus married Nebuchadnezzar's daughter and they had Belshazzar. So Nabonidus is Belshazzar's real father, which makes Nebuchadnezzar his grandfather. All right, all right. Now, at the time, at the time, Nabonidus was king of the Babylonian empire and his son Belshazzar was king of the city of Babylon. Now, this explains why Daniel was named the third ruler. Why, why did he say, I'll make you the third ruler? Because Belshazzar was only the second ruler. Now, uh, uh, Nabonidus was staying in Arabia. I don't want to take up too much time here, but I want you to get some background. Uh, Nabonidus did not like ruling. He did not like the political scene. He really was an archaeologist. He loved digging in the dirt, loved rocks and research and, and studying the history of religions. And that was just his thing. He was more of a scientist than anything. And he spent most of his time in his headquarters in Arabia. 
and he left his son in Babylon as a co-regent or a co-king. If that makes sense, say amen. So you have Nabonidus, then you have Belshazzar, and that's why when he said, I will make you the third ruler in the kingdom, because he was only number two, right? And so he, Belshazzar is the king, a co-regent, living and ruling in Babylon. He's about, I think historians said he's about 36 years old. Uh, and, and really all the studying I've been doing on this and reading and research and listening to uh, different studies on it, uh, he reminded me of a playboy. He reminded me of a spoiled, rotten, brat child that grew up in royalty and didn't understand integrity. And all he wanted was debauchery. Are y'all with me? Say amen. This is him. This is him. Now, uh, as we keep reading, as we keep reading, we got to hurry, got to hurry because we got a lot of cover. This explains why Daniel was the third in the kingdom. Now, while the events of chapter five are taking place, while the events of chapter five are taking place, King Nabonidus has been captive by the Medes and the Persians for about four months. All right. He's already led an army to try to fight the Medes and the Persians, and he's already been captured. He has been in captivity for about four months. So this leaves Belshazzar there to defend Babylon. So here we are. Here we are. Uh, Belshazzar in verse number one. All right. Now y'all ready to go through it? Let's do our running commentary. Okay. Number one, the first thing we see, uh, the first thing we see, number one is the ball, the ball, write that down. The party Belshazzar throws a party. He throws a celebration. If there was one thing this kid knew how to do, it was to get down. He could party. He invited all of his princes. He invited all of his lords, a thousand of them. Belshazzar, verse one, Belshazzar, the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousands. Now, here's something different. Most of the time in that that day, uh, they would not do this. They would not do this and, and, and feast or drink like this with women involved. But they invited all of the concubines, all of the wives. So there is not only, there is not only idolatry involved in what's taking place. There is great immorality taking place, debauchery. Uh, some would call it even an orgy, just a wild, wild time. Now, there's three reasons. There's three reasons I want you to write down of what was the purpose of this celebration? What was the purpose of this party? What was the purpose of this feast? Well, first of all, it was to boost, write that word down, boost, B-O-O-S-T, boost the morale of his lords, boost the morale of his lords. You say, why is that? Why is that? Because at that time, the Medes and the Persians were besieging the city. The armies of the Medes and the Persians had surrounded the city and they were attacking, they were besieging the city. Now, here's what I believe. Here's what I believe. Now, I'm going to give you just a little bit of Malcolm's theology here for just a minute, all right? I know without a shadow of a doubt that the, the people there in Babylon, they remembered. They remembered the dream. How many of y'all remember the dream of Nebuchadnezzar? Where Nebuchadnezzar had the head of gold and then the body of silver. 
You remember? And, and he said, oh, king, that head is you. That is the Babylonian empire. But there is a silver kingdom coming. Babylon will not last forever. Babylon will not be forever. One day, Babylon is going to fall. Hmm. Even Nebuchadnezzar himself didn't like that. What did he do? Later on, he created an image all of solid gold. In other words, he's making a, he's making a point. It's not just going to be a head of gold. Babylon will last forever. How'd that work out for him? Well, guess what? This is what I believe. This is what I'm thinking is happening. I believe when the people of Babylon are looking over them walls, I believe when he's looking over them walls, I believe they're remembering, wait a minute, because this is about 20 years after, this is about 20 years after the dream. Wait a minute, didn't, wasn't there, wasn't there some, some Jewish guy, wasn't there some Jewish prophet talking about some, some head of gold and body of silver? Wasn't he predicting the fall of Babylon? And I believe, how many of y'all know people like to talk? And it don't take long, especially when you're facing adversity, especially when you're facing difficulty, people go to talking and it's negative. And so I believe that Belshazzar is putting on a feast and he is trying to reassure all his lords that everything's okay. Don't worry about a thing. He's trying to boost the morale of his lords. Then B, write this down. He's trying to boast. He's basically just trying to brag. See, you got to understand that there were walls around. And I, I've, I've, man, I'm telling you, I've researched and I've tried to find the specific uh, uh, size of these walls. And I've, I've gotten anything from 100 feet high to 350 feet high. So I'm going to just leave it with this. They was high. Okay. They were, it, it was, it was unbelievable to see. Incredible. There's no way, there's no way an army could get over these walls. These walls were Three different walls thick. They had to go through three different walls to get to the city. Some, some uh, uh, have said that it's been between 30 to 60 miles of walls around the city. Moats on the outside. Deep, wide moats on the outside of the walls. Um, the walls were so wide. The walls were so wide that you could take four chariots side by side and race on top of the walls. They were so wide. It was even said that a historian that they were throwing food over the walls to the Persian army, mocking them and showing that, listen, you can stay out there all you want. We got plenty of food in here. Because they had crops, they had everything that they needed, they had all the water they needed. The, the river Euphrates flowed underneath the gates and through the city. So they had everything they needed. They felt bulletproof. Are y'all with me? Even the gates. The gates were made of brass to defend against a battering ram. And you couldn't set them on fire because they wasn't made of wood. I mean, this was an impenetrable fortress. And I believe Belshazzar was saying, ha, I believe he's having this party. I mean, the, the enemy is at the gates. They want to remove your head and he's throwing a party. He threw this party to boost the morale of his lords. He threw this party to brag, to brag, to boast, arrogant, arrogant. 
But he also did it to blaspheme. He had something else in mind. It was to boost the morale, was to boast of their power and their security. And it was to blaspheme God. So we see the ball. Then number two, verse two through four, we see the gall. The gall. And yes, I enjoyed writing this outline. <clears throat> uh, Brother Julio, won't you get me a, a tissue, please, if you don't care. Uh, the gall, look at verse two. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine. That sounds country, don't it? Whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring, thank you, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and the princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. Then watch what they did. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood and of stone. So we see the gall, the gall. Two things happened. First, the action that desecrated. Write that down. I want you to see the action that desecrated. Say, what happened? About 66 years, <clears throat> about 66 years before this took place. And by the way, this took place, if you want to write this down, it, it, you can. Uh, this took place on October the 12th, 539 BC, was this night that we're talking about. The night of the party is October the 12th, 539 BC. 66, approximately 66 years before this. His grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, went in and, and conquered Jerusalem and took Daniel captive. Now, how many of y'all have been through this Daniel study from the beginning? You remember us talking about this in the very beginning. He went into the temple and he took the vessels. He took the vessels that was used to worship God. He took the vessels that was dedicated and sanctified for the master's use. For the worship of the God, the only God, the true God. Listen, in doing this, he took them back as a trophy. He would do this whatever city he came in, whatever uh, country he invaded, whatever group of people that he conquered. He would take their gods and put it in the house of his gods as a token and as a way to say, my God is greater than your God. And so right in the middle of this thing, right in the middle of this thing, Belshazzar has gotten tuned up. He's gotten drunk. And he begins, and he makes the command, I want you to go get, now think about this. Think about this, because this brings us into B. He's got vessels from all over the world. He's got He's got, he's got cups and he's got uh, plates and he's got utensils and he's got vessels from all kinds of temples, from all kinds of places. But he chose the temple of God. He said, I want you to go get them Jewish vessels. I want you to go get those silver and gold, the ones from the God of the Jewish slaves and bring them. 
Why, why do you think he picked them? B. They got drunk. They were drinking out of them. Not only, not only uh, were they drinking out of them, but they begin to they begin to praise. They begin to praise their gods by drinking out of the gods' vessels. In other words, they begin to worship their god by using the utensils and the vessels of God's people. Now. This brings us to be the gall, the action that desecrated. Then write this down. This was an attempt to defy. This was an attempt to defy. You say, why didn't he get vessels from any other country? Because there wasn't a person from any other country that prophesied that Babylon would fall. Now, you got to keep in mind this guy's arrogant. You got to understand he knows. He knows there's a prophecy. He knows one of these little Jewish guys has said that Babylon will fall. He knows that all of the people are talking and there's probably rumors going everywhere. Could this be? Could this be the night? Could this be? Is this the time that the golden head goes into the silver body? Is this when Babylon, are we done? Are we in danger? So in his arrogant, drunken state, he says, I'm going to defy God. I'm going to defy the God who prophesied that Babylon would fall. I'm going to show him that I'm greater than he is. Can y'all see this? He didn't pick any other vessel. He didn't pick any other place. He picked the vessels of the one who predicted his downfall. So he said, I'm defying God. Basically, basically, how many of y'all have ever heard this phrase? It may be, maybe kids or ten. In your face. That's what he's doing. In your face. I'm defying you with your vessels in your face. We are, we are in a debauchery. We are doing all of this. And what are you going to do about it? Hmm. I guess we'll see. We see, number one, that's your cue. Number one, number two, number three, the wall. Y'all see where we're going with this, right? Verse five. In the same, what? Hour. I mean, they still got the cups to their lips. And God responds. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Listen, all through the Bible, you'll find that God is merciful. All through the Bible, you'll find that God is patient. But all through the Bible, you'll find that God has his limit. And the cup of sin will become full at some point. 
The cup of sin became full with this world and he flooded it. Y'all remember Noah? The cup of sin became full with Sodom and Gomorrah and he destroyed it. The cup of sin became full when it came to the nations in Canaan and God, he ordered their destruction. And the Bible said for 400 years he showed mercy and gave them chances to repent and they never did and their sin came to a head. Preacher, what are you saying? God had enough and he responded. The Bible says in verse 5, In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and rode over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. First of all, write this down. There is a divine response. There is a divine response. God will respond. We are seeing an incredible amount of wickedness in our country, in our world. And we are seeing people because God has been patient. And because God has delayed a response, it has got people thinking that God will not respond. But God has never not responded. There was a divine response. God wrote on the wall. God wrote on the wall. But then B, there's a debilitating reaction. We see an arrogant king. Uh, How many of y'all have ever heard the phrase that alcohol is liquid courage? He's so brave. He's so mighty. He's so powerful. He's declaring his own majesty and he's declaring his own glory. He's declaring his own power. He's defying God. But in the same hour, he goes from being a powerful, pompous, loudmouth to shaking in his shoes. The Bible says this man who was so arrogant, this man who was so cocky, this man who was so belligerent, he sees the writing on the wall and immediately all the color loses and he, he turns pale. And literally when you read, when you read what happens, he literally cries out. He screams. He's terrified. What he sees petrifies him. I believe it probably sobered him up. His knees begin to knock He began to lose all physical function, his mental state. He's in in a terror. He begins to scream out for help. He begins to scream out for somebody to do something. Somebody tell me what this all means. Number one. (sighs) Number one. Number two. Number three. 
Number four, the call. Verse seven. The king cried aloud. And keep in mind that cried aloud. He's not saying, hey, y'all. I mean, he's screeching. It is total terror. He's screaming. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. The king spake. And he said to the wise men, whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. First of all, under the call, I want you to write this down. We see the reoccurring pattern. Say, what is the reoccurring pattern? The reoccurring pattern of failure. You would think by now, this is the third time these these birds could not do their job. Say amen. You'd think they'd figured out that man doesn't have the answer to their issues. And ladies and gentlemen, man can't fix you. Man does not have the answer. Man does not have the solution. Man cannot fix your problem. I don't care if he's a a Democrat or a Republican. I don't care if he's a senator or a president. Man doesn't have the answer to our country's problem. Man didn't have the answer to the demoniac in the New Testament. Man couldn't chain him. Man couldn't fix him. Man couldn't do anything. But Jesus came by. Amen. There's a reoccurring problem. Man, we've got, to get, we've got to get this world to stop trying to look for their solutions to their issues. Listen, man doesn't have an answer to your marriage. It doesn't have an answer to your, to your addiction. It doesn't have an answer to all the issues of life. But there is a God in heaven who does. There is a reoccurring pattern. Verse 7 through 9. I love this part. There's a remembered preacher. <clears throat> There's a remembered preacher. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled and his countenance was changed in him and his lords were astonished. Now the queen. Now this is not the queen, his wife. This is the queen, his mama. This is the queen mother. He already had his wife in the, in the, in the banquet hall with him and all his wives and all his concubines, his mistresses and all of those They were participating in that debauchery, but his mama shows up. She comes into the banquet hall. She hears what's going on. Now the king, excuse me, the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man. Son, I happen to remember... When your grandpa was in a bad way, I happen to remember that there was a time when something similar to this happened to your grandpa and nobody could help him. Nobody could fix it. Nobody could answer. Nobody could interpret the dreams. Everybody in the kingdom was in a mess, but there was a man of God who had an answer. 
Man, I can't tell you how many times. I, I, I was reading over this, reading over this, reading over this. And man, I started thinking about the times in my life, the times as I was growing up in church, the times that I watched people that my father tried to encourage, my father tried to help. And I thought about the times in the two different churches I pastored who I tried to help and try to encourage. And they would come and listen, they would go and they would leave and they would live their life the way they wanted to live it. They would get out of church and get away from God and live a foolish life and tragedy strikes and then they want to call the preacher. It's amazing. Everybody forgets about God, the church house and the preacher till tragedy strikes. They remember the preacher. Somebody call the preacher. And so they called Daniel. Daniel come. And by the way, did you notice that they were not using the, the, the Babylonian name that was given to Daniel? It's amazing how you'll let him go ahead and be the preacher. Daniel, Daniel, can you help me? And, and by, this, this man is still arrogant, though. It's amazing. Daniel comes in. Daniel is probably in his 80s by now. Okay, he's probably in his 80s by now. And he just moses right on in there and gets right in his face. And, I, and I, I, I dare you, go back and study and watch how he responds to Nebuchadnezzar. Because Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself and Nebuchadnezzar did right. And if you'll notice, the way Daniel spoke to Nebuchadnezzar, it was kind. And it was in a, it was in a pastoral way. But when he came in here, it was completely in a prophetic sense. Completely. He was blunt. He was straight up. He said, I tell you what, I tell you what, if you'll do this for me, man, I'll, I'll give you some new clothes. I'll put a gold chain around your neck. I'll even make you the third ruler in the kingdom. I'll give you the highest place, the highest status that you can possibly have. And you know what Daniel said? Keep it. Keep it. I don't need anything you have. Listen. Daniel knew what was going on. Daniel knew what he did. There's a reoccurring pattern. There's a remembered preacher. Daniel shows up. And then see, there's a reproving proclamation. Reproving. Daniel blisters his hide. Verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let thy gifts be to thyself. Give thy rewards to another. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you what this means. I don't want your stuff. I don't want anything you got. But I'm going to tell you the interpretation. But before he does, before he does, he's got a sermon to preach. He's got some... He's got some reproving and some rebuking to do. He said, oh, king, the most, I, and, and what he does now, did I give you, did I give you, take, put blanks there, they're all in, in there. Are they blanks? All right, write this down. Here, under, under the proclamation, are them blanks? Under the proclamation, write this down. First, there was the past rehearsed. He went into the past and he began to talk about his granddaddy. He said, let me tell you something. Let me tell you what happened to your granddaddy. 
He said, your granddaddy was arrogant. Your granddaddy was as cocky as you are. And he thought he was the boss. And God humbled him. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Look what it says. It says, thou the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar. Y'all notice how he does that? This God that you just defied, this God that you just, you just desecrated his vessels, this God gave your granddaddy this kingdom. Thy father a kingdom, majesty, glory, and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would he slew, whom he would he kept alive, whom he would he set up, whom he would he put down. But when his heart was what? Lifted up. He got prideful. That's the, that's the disease of the devil. It's the same problem Satan had. And his mind hardened in pride. He was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. He was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast. This is all in chapter four, by the way. And his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Till he, come on everybody, till he, that the most high God ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointed it whomsoever he will. Let me tell you something. Belshazzar, your granddaddy was arrogant. Your granddaddy was full of pride. Your granddaddy was given a kingdom. He was given power. He was given majesty. And it was all because that's what the God in heaven wanted him to have until he got arrogant and lifted up in pride and thought he had it by his own power till God showed him different. The Bible says that he, God is able to abase those in pride. If you don't humble yourself, God will humble you for you. And he humbled him and he put him out like an animal. He took everything away from him, took his kingdom away till he knew. Till he acknowledged that God was in charge. Are y'all with me? He brought up the past. He reviewed the past. Now watch this. Watch this. We see the past reviewed. Then we see the present rebuked. This is, this is, this just staggered me right here. Verse 22 and 23. The present, first he brought up the past. He rehearsed the past. Then he rebuked the present. Watch what he says. Verse 22. And thou, his son, old Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart. Everybody read it with me. Though thou... Though thou knewest all this, you knew it. Belshazzar, you knew it. You knew what happened to your granddaddy. You knew it. You heard the reports. You saw what took place. You you knew it all. How many people leave this place and they hear truth being being taught and truth being preached and, and warnings from God about certain behavior and they know it and they go out and do it anyway and it ends up in a train wreck. Lives destroyed. And they know it. They know it. The most devastating thing about this is he knew it 
and he did it anyway. He that knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You knew it. There's one thing about King Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't have an example before him. He got arrogant on his own and got it on us. But when God got his attention, he learned. But you see, this example was given to Belshazzar in front. And instead of learning from the past, he did it anyway. Listen, where much is given, say what you want to. But there's going to be greater damnation on those that know and do it anyway. He rebuked this present. Then, then we see the prediction revealed. The prediction revealed. Now, because of this, you knew what God did to your granddaddy, verse 22. But even with that, and by the way, he knew the prophecy too. He knew that Babylon was limited, but yet he chose to defy God and say, I'm in charge. You've lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of the house before thee. And thou and thy lords, thy wives, thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and of gold and of brass. And what's he doing? He's just thumbing God in the face. He's drinking wine out of the vessels of the Lord while praising the gods that are false Marduk, listen, the, 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 the moon god, all of these different ones that they were praising and worshiping, basically saying, our gods are greater than you. How dare you Jewish slaves come in here and threaten our kingdom and tell us that our kingdom is going to end. This is what I think of you. And God says, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. See what you did? You knew, you knew, you knew what I did to your grandfather. You knew, you knew the prophecy. You're worshiping gods of stone, which cannot see, which cannot hear. They do not know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is and whose are all thy ways. That means he sees everything you do. Hast thou not glorified? Right then, he should have fell on his knees. He should have begged for the mercy of God. Just like his granddaddy. And by the way, I believe this. I believe he could have. But let's see what happens. He says, this is the prediction. This is what God has said. Verse 24, then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this is the writing which was written. And this is the writing that was written. Mina, Mina, Tekel, Eupharsin. Daniel says, this is the interpretation. Mina, God hath numbered thy kingdom. And what? Finished. It's done. It's over. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found Warning. Thy kingdom is divided and 
Perez, the, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. He said, it's over. You're done. You're done. The kingdom is finished. Now, can you imagine somebody who has ruled in the greatest kingdom on earth and the most powerful kingdom on earth for several, several years, several years, grew up in his grandfather's palace and had all of this power, all of this glory, all of this majesty, had everything, and to hear is done. It's over. Now, he could have and should have fell right then and begged for the mercy of God. But let's see his response. Let's see his response. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Number one. Number two. Number three. Number four. Number five. The fall. The fall. What do we see? A. The disregard of an unbeliever. What did Daniel just tell him? It's over. It's finished. You are done. But what does Belshazzar do? I'm going to make him the third in the kingdom. There is no kingdom. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm trying to help you understand that Belshazzar didn't believe a word he just said. He went right on about. He went right on about. He kept his word. He did what he said he would do. But he didn't believe a word Daniel just said. How do you make a man a third ruler in a kingdom that doesn't exist? Are y'all with me? Y'all see this? This is an unrepentant man. This is an unbeliever. He's still, even with the writing on the wall. Now, let me, let me say this. I probably don't need to because we'll, we'll run a rabbit that we need to get shot. <clears throat> but sometimes we think, boy, if they could just see, if God can just smack them a little bit. Man, if they would just open their eyes and, let me tell you something, unbelief is a powerful thing. I've seen, people, I've seen people who were drinking and driving and doing all kind of stuff and got into a crazy wreck and, 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 and totally, totally, it's, I said, well, I tell you what, they're going to be straightened up now. They're going to get there. I, that's going to open there. And you know what? Nope. Nope. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people go through experiences and say, well, that don't wake them up. Ain't, and you know what? It still don't. Still don't. He was an unrepentant unbeliever. But then, write this down and we'll flip the page. 
We see a disregard of the unbeliever, verse 29. Then we see the death of the unrepentant. In that night, verse 30, in that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, what? Slain. You see, what Belshazzar didn't know is it in that day, look at me, don't, don't flip yet, don't flip yet. At that particular time, it had been a very, very dry season. So the river was already a little low. And the whole time, all of this revelry was going on, the whole time all of this was going on, little, little did Belshazzar and the people in Babylon know that the Medes and the Persian had been digging a canal. And that night, that night, they finished a canal to divert the Euphrates River away to make it shallow enough that they could go in and go under the gates and under the bars where the river flows through the city. And they came into the city and conquered it without even a fight. In this fortress that could not be penetrated even by God. Are y'all with me? Let me say it again. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. I don't care who you are. I don't care how powerful you think you are. I don't care how safe you think you are. You're not beyond the hand of God. Three things I want you to leave with. What can we learn from this? What can we apply? We don't want to just leave and have learned a history story. What can we apply? Number one, I don't think y'all got blanks here, do you? Number one, say it to me. Come on, everybody. Say it again. This is for all you young people in here, especially. He said, you knew what happened to your granddaddy. And you did it anyway. What did he not do? What did he not do? He didn't learn from the past. Listen, young people. Please learn from our stupidity. I, you know, I've heard, I've heard young people say, oh, I just got to learn on my own. I, I, I just got to go to school of hard knocks. The tuition's too high. Why don't you get an education and let somebody else pay the tuition? We've been there. We know. Learn from the past. And this is not just for young people. How many of us Christians repeat the same stupid mistakes over and over again? Sooner or later, you'd think we would learn. Learn from the past. If God didn't put up with it then, he ain't going to put up with it now. If God didn't let you get away with this, he ain't going to let you get away with that. Church, say amen. Say it with me. Number one. Everybody say it. Number two. Number our days. Because our days are numbered. Look what he says. Look what Daniel. Look what Daniel says. Verse 26. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mina. God hath. 
and finished it. Listen, Psalm 90 verse 12, Psalm Psalm 90 verse 12 says, read it with me. So teach us to number our days. Say it with me. So that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. You know what that's basically saying? The psalmist is saying, listen, we need to realize we only got a certain amount of days on this planet. And the problem is, is we live our lives many times like we're always going to be here. Like the sun is always going to come up for us. That There's always going to be a tomorrow. If there's anything that COVID should have taught everybody is that our days are numbered and we don't know what that number is. What about the, what about the rich farmer? <clears throat> what about the rich farmer who said, man, I had a great crop. I done filled my barn. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear this barn down. I'm going to I'm going to build a bigger barn. I'm going to fill it up. Then I'm going to kick back, eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to have a party. You know what God said? Thou fool. Your soul is going to be required of you this night. You know what he did? He didn't number his days. Listen, what can we take from this? We need to understand that our days are numbered. And we need to number our days because our days are numbered. We need to realize, and in that verse in Psalm, it said to apply our hearts to wisdom. Let's, let's, use, let's use our time wisely because we only have a certain... I was in a class one night and a man gave the illustration. He said, your life is a train. Your life is a train. Every single day represents a boxcar. And everything you do in that day that you invest into your life or you do for the kingdom of God is going into that boxcar. And when that boxcar, the very next day, there's a new boxcar and there's nothing else you can do for the boxcar that just went by. Listen, this day's almost over. Whatever we we done today is done. Let's don't waste it anymore. Let's number them. Let's learn that God hath numbered our days. And we need to make good of it till he says it is finished. Number three. Number three, say it with me. Say it again. He said, you've been weighed in the balances and are found wanting. Listen, every one of us, how many of us? Every one of us is going to stand before God. And we're going to give an account. What are we going to give account for, preacher? How we numbered our days. Am I going to have to pay for my sin? Nope. It's been paid for on the cross. Thank God. But you will give an account for all the blessings, all the resources, all the things that God has given you and the responsibilities you had to serve him. You will answer for it. Your days are numbered. So let's number our days. So that when he calls our name, we won't be ashamed. All God's people see it.